0: Hello and welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I am Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbit. And we are looking at the title, The Importance of Genesis Today. We want to thank all of you for joining us as we enter into this study, looking at the book of Genesis and the great importance of it, the value of it for those of us who love the Lord and believe in His Word, Uh, what great things that we can find there. And we want you to know, too, as listeners, that uh, we, Kurt and I both, uh, pray for you. We have prayed for you and continue to pray for you. Uh, trusting that you are listening at some point to these podcasts, that we're obviously very excited about that, but we are truly grateful that you've decided to be with us and we hope that this study is a blessing to you. Uh, Genesis 1 is the biblical account of creation. We believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and and we see that in 2 Timothy 3 in verse 16. And so God's creation account is 100% correct and it's 100% trustworthy the first verse of the bible and as i <clears throat> read this especially if i'm using it for a sermon or a lesson um i do try to share with people that it it potentially is the most offensive verse in all of scripture hmm. and that's i like that approach because you could go to a certain place where a passage says something that you just don't like you know, it says something about me God says I'm in I'm in error here, I shouldn't be doing this. So so that's offensive to me. But no no, it all starts. Genesis one one. It is the most offensive verse in the Bible. It says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the reason why that's offensive is because we've just been told that God created the heavens and the earth, and now all of us know that we're not Him. Hmm. Yes. So it's His earth, it's His Creation, it's His will. And that is a very tough pill to swallow for most of us yep.
1: we want to be like him we want well we want to be him we we want to be our own God, so somehow we have to get this God out of the picture.
0: yes, yes, that seems to always be the path that men take uh, to get to some of the places they found themselves. Genesis one is powerful, beautiful, amazing uh, we see the phrase "God said." Hmm. Um, God is speaking the things that we have on this earth now, the things that we can see and understand. He spoke all of these things into existence in, in a perfect state. They were established from the moment he spoke them. Uh, we see the great amount of work that would have been required in one day, on any given day, whether you want to look at the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, uh, day six, is when the Lord God creates the cattle. He, he's, he says, may they come forth from the earth and, and multiply. Uh, so that's every creeping thing. And you know what an exhaustive list that would be. Mm. And also in day six, he makes uh, male and female, man and woman on day six. He saw that everything was good. And on the seventh day, he rested. And so just l- let's think about the phrase for a minute. Uh, God saw that it was good. What What does that mean to you? Well,
1: it was perfect. It's just exactly as God wanted it. There were no flaws, uh, nothing damaging, nothing negative. It was absolute perfection, just as God is absolutely perfect. It's just exactly the way he wanted it.
0: And it's amazing to think about that because this is before the fall of man. And uh-huh. so, again, it's hard for us sitting here where we are today to think about that um, as it as it really took place and as all these things really stood where they were. Um, we talked a little bit about the beginning, God's power and uh, his love for mankind, uh, which was his creation, the pinnacle of his creation. He says that let us make man in our image and, and have them have full rule yeah, control dominion, dominion yeah. over all things that we've created so he grants everything to mankind and, and then even in the just a little bit of time we have in genesis chapter one and two god tells us about uh, his planting of his garden mm. which to me is an amazing thing uh, we all have seen beautiful gardens we've seen beautiful flowers and roses and arrangements uh people work on this stuff as as a career to, mm-hmm. to make plants grow stronger and and be more healthy and and flowers to d- be different colors and but this is not man planting a garden somewhere with everything that he could get that was the best of the best which would be great this is god in a state of in the earth state of perfection planting his own garden and then it tells us uh, he placed that garden in eden and then he sets man in the garden so Again, it shows great love for Adam. And and, I think about God a lot about his role in that, putting the things he wanted in his garden. And, and, you know, none of that was for him because he made it from nothing. So it it can't be for his entertainment, for his joy, or because he needed an apple or he was going to pass out. You know, that God is a spirit. God's eternal. He doesn't need food. So this everything he makes you I can just see God saying, wait till Adam pulls one of these bad boys off the branch, you know, and and sinks his teeth into this. I mean, everything was designed, done, accomplished for man. And that that if we didn't talk about anything else, that's why Genesis is so important. Because it puts us in our proper place in in all of God's creation and in his order, doesn't it? Yeah. In fact,
1: we we get a, a hint you you mentioned Uh, God giving us control, he gave us dominion over his creation. And God, we see the the nature of the relationship between God and man because God recognizes and appreciates that dominion. Because who does he give the job of naming all the animals to? Adam, that's right. God didn't do it. He could have just said, okay, here they all are. They've all been named. He gave that work to Adam because that was Adam's dominion that he had given to him. So God respected the position that he gave to man and didn't intrude on that. So it, it, to me, that says a lot about how God views us and what that relationship is supposed to be. He's given us certain responsibilities. He expects us to carry those out, but he lets us do it. He doesn't jump in and do the job for us. It's, it's our dominion. You take care of it, Adam. This, this, is, this is all for you, and this is up to you. You go ahead and name the animals. So I, everything we read about, in, in, in especially the first three chapters of Genesis, is just so profound because it sets the stage for everything. That's it's, right. it's the first great miracle, of course, God creating, God said, let there be, and then that is concluded with, And it was so. So, what's God doing? He just says, let there be light. Bing! There's light. It was so. So, it's just, when you can accept that, if you can accept the first miracle of the Bible, then there's no reason you can't accept all the other miracles of the Bible. That's right. Which is one reason why this miracle is so vehemently denied. Because you it's like like i said it sets the stage for everything who god is what he is who man is and what he is the proper position of both in relation to each other mm-hmm. and then we look at the opposition the just the flat out 180 degree, degree denial and rebellion against everything god says in these chapters to try to get away from that and be our own god and try to elevate ourselves but While we're doing that, we actually lower ourselves more and more. We degrade ourselves.
0: That's right. It always works that way. And naming the animals, uh, another interesting thing about that, I think it speaks of Adam's capabilities and his intellect. The day that he's created, the animals are set before him. He names all of them. And Eve is made, a deep sleep comes over him, Eve is made, and he names her too, as he's yeah. still, still going, going at it, naming things. Uh, he names her woman, because she is bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh, she's made from him. And as you mentioned, I, I never thought about that, but God being consistent in, let them have dominion, and now this because this is yours, because you have dominion, It all, of, all in its proper place, you should be naming these things. Mm-hmm. And Adam... We don't want to make the mistake of thinking that, you know, he went to school for, for 12, 15, 18 years to learn and understand how to name, what names are, how do they apply? You know, what species are we looking at? He seems to inherently know all of these things. God breathed the breath of life. It's literally the breath of lives into Adam and Adam is perfect
1: yep. and he's, he's able to do this. He's fully formed. He's a mature man. human man, uh, It's not like he was walking around just, wow, look at that thing on that thing. I I, I guess that's a tree, and we'll call that a leaf. Look how pretty it is. I wonder what it does. No. If he was created fully formed, then his intellect was also fully formed. It had to be because the whole purpose of it was God wanted a creature whom he could have a relationship with. That's right. This creature could respond to him and relate to him and enjoy the same things God enjoyed because he's created in his image. So there has to be that understanding there and that intellect. And it's interesting, one of the points that people raise in opposition to all this is, well, it's just not possible for Adam to have named all the animals in just 24 hours. Well, first of all, the Bible says he did, but we don't know how many animals there were. Right. We don't know under what conditions he named them. They, they like to, we, we tend to kind of think that they just slowly paraded by. You know. Oh, there's a lion. Okay, lion and Mrs. Lion. Oh, what's that? That's an elephant. We'll call that an elephant. And, uh, hmm, giraffe. I like that sound. That, that's a giraffe. That's a cool word. No, he, they were brought before him and he named them. So whatever that involved, he was able to do it in 24 hours. Apparently he didn't need to sleep. There's, there's nothing said about that. So he was capable of doing all of this. Uh, however we want to explain it, And it's, you know, some naturalistic way we want to come up with. It's sure, oh, that was just not possible. Well, we don't know what the circumstances were. We don't know the conditions. We just know that he did it. Yeah, that's an excellent point. There's no
0: reason to put a bunch of uh, this has to be so uh, attachments to what Mm -hmm. what we're saying. The Bible clearly says that he did. Another thing that is important to that is 2 Peter 3. Peter says that. The earth that was once kept by the word of God perished, yeah, yeah, by water. So, uh, that is an important point as well. Whatever existed before Genesis chapter 6, the earth perished. Mm-hmm. God wiped off the face of the earth, that everything breathed no the breath exists. of life, right? So, how many was that? Which animals? We don't know, we can't know. So, it, it, I, th- I think that's just an excellent point. It's wrong for us to. Assume, no, everything's yeah. just like it is now, so it has to be this, this, and this. No, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, we
1: can't overlay our environment and our world onto the, the antediluvian world before the flood and say, well, it should have been like this. This is, here's what we expect, so that couldn't have happened. Right. No, that world does not exist anymore. And it, like we made the point after your uh, Genesis sermon on Sunday, uh, as you talked about. Uh, the rivers that flowed out of Eden, mm-hmm. we know the names of two of them that exist today, the Tigris and the Euphrates, but we have no way of knowing whether it is those two rivers right. that were in the Garden of Eden. Those names could have been borrowed. Yeah, yeah, the names are the same, but that world, the the original course of those rivers coming out of Eden and where they flowed to, that world has perished. Right. So we don't know where those rivers were. And the two rivers that bear those names now, the only similarity is they bear the names. Right. That's all. Yeah. We don't even know about the other two. They apparently disappeared. We can't find them. After the flood, they're gone. Yeah. So we cannot overlay. We can't transpose what, what we experience in this world onto the world of Genesis and say, well, if it's that way, then what it says just cannot have happened. Hmm. no, you're, you're dealing with a false premise here and you're going to come to the wrong conclusions in doing that.
0: That's an excellent point. So, so Genesis, obviously the, the great importance of it for us. Um, you had mentioned some things about what it tells us about God himself. Just Mm -hmm. as you look at the creation, the way that it happened, the order, uh, the timing of it, um, the way that he does it. And and what, what were those things that, that highlight the character of God?
1: Yeah, it's, again this is the book of beginnings genesis means the beginning or the source the origin it it comes from the first phrase of the book in the beginning so this is the start of everything this is this is the beginning of of man's relationship with creation with the universe and so these first chapters tell us what we need to know about god who he is and what he is what who man is and what he is. And so when we look at this, we, we can immediately see several things about God illustrated for us here. Obviously, his created creative power, the the tremendous power that he has to simply say, let this be. And it is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's done exactly how he wants it. It doesn't have to develop. The light doesn't have to kind of start up and then it gets brighter and brighter and then it has to travel across the universe. No, there's light. It, there it is. Yeah. So we see this creative power guided by wisdom and in, an in intelligent planning. Uh, the Bible tells us that even before the foundation of the world, before this, the, the offering of his son Jesus Christ was already planned because he knew he was going to create man in his own image therefore that creation in his image was going to be able to choose and god had to put in place what he was going to do if made if man made the wrong choice so everything is created good man has it perfect and god says here it is there's only one restriction one you so now you here's a choice before you and if you choose wrong which we know they did here's the plan i've put into effect so here's a being who can intelligently plan which for us is far into the future (laughs) uh he is a being who appreciates beauty because once he was done making everything in the garden he said this is he pronounced it good that's right this is pleasing to him he approved of it and then when he got done creating man, it was very good because here's, here is everything I was working toward. All of this is for this creation. I've made man in my own image out of the dust of the earth. And it, everything is very good, except for one thing. It wasn't good for men. There was no other creature like man which speaks to the nature of man. Yeah. So we, we see a God here who is also compassionate. He provides everything for the man. When man sins, God tries to get him to come back. When Adam and Eve have sinned and then they hear God, the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, beautiful passage, what do they do? They hide because they're afraid of him. Yeah. And God says, where are you? Well, God knew they were over there behind that bush. So he wasn't seeking to find out where they were. He wanted them to consider where they were and not that they're behind the bush. Now you're afraid of me. You're hiding from me. When we used to walk together in the garden, what is going on here? What's the problem? What are you afraid of now? Why are you afraid of me? Exactly. So God just doesn't, oh, you've sinned. It's all goodbye we're starting over, he tries to get them back. That's a compassionate and a loving God who patiently then brings starts his plan to bring them back to him. So we see a, a tremendous picture of who God is, what he is, what what his characteristics are. And therefore, when we look at man created in his, in his image, we can understand that doesn't mean that God has two arms and ten fingers. Uh, that fortunately He has opposable thumbs, so we have that advantage. <laughs> no. He's not a flesh and bone being, as Jesus indicated in the Gospels. In in John four, He says God is a spirit, and then in, in Luke, He says the spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see me having. So, God is not a material being. Uh, if He was, and He created man and then woman in his image if if that means there's a physicality there then which one is god the man or the woman or is he both or neither or what what do we do with this well he's not material we are created in in his image in the sense that we can think we can appreciate beauty we can make choices We can design things. We can think abstractly Mm -hmm. because we can consider a place called heaven that we cannot see. We cannot touch it. We can't experience it. We don't know where it is. All we know about it is what God has told us. But we can consider that. And he wants us to. Yeah, and he wants us to do that. We're self-aware. A cow doesn't know, oh, I'm a cow and I'm enjoying myself out here eating this grass. (laughs) We are the only ones who are aware of ourselves that here I am, I exist, and I can do these things. I can think. I I can behave in a certain way. Uh, We have emotions. Yeah. Which the other animals don't have. You don't hear animals laughing. (laughs) Well, Fred over there just told a great joke. I like that. It's another one of those cow jokes, though. we got to be careful. (laughs) No, the animals just exist. But we can feel anger we we can be sad we can be happy we love which is probably the most important emotion because that to to be able to love requires freedom of will mm-hmm. because now we're going to make a choice i choose to love this but not that right which then also is a reflection of god plus we can consider that choice and extrapolate the consequences of it. Hmm. I can either not put my hand on that stove, on that, that fire right there, or I can. If I do, it's probably going to hurt. I'm going to damage my hand. I'm going to be burned. That's not good. So I'm, gonna not, I'm choosing not to do that. So the nature of God and the nature of man is is profoundly revealed for us because it shows us God wants us to seek Him, to love Him, and to worship Him as God. And we have the ability to choose to do that of our own volition or not. Right. And the consequences of each choice are spelled out for us. But he doesn't impose his own. No, desires. he allows us to make the choice. He's made his desire known, but right. he doesn't and, and that's the consequence. Here's your choice. If you choose correctly, here's what I have for you. If you choose incorrectly, here's what's going to happen. So yeah. he, And he, he demonstrates his love and his concern and his compassion in that he fully informs that choice. Right. He doesn't say, now, don't do that, and you go figure out why. Or just trust me. Yeah. And, yeah. He tells them, don't do this, and here's why. Mm-hmm. Because if you do, the day you eat of that tree you will surely die, or literally dying, you will surely die. So now, here you go. Obey and live. Disobey and die. Yep. There's your choice, and here are the consequences. So he gives us an informed decision to make. And we see Adam and Eve, like
0: you said, everything's in Genesis 1-3, through 3, but we see Adam and Eve make both choices. When mm-hmm. they didn't partake of the fruit, fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil... They had eternal life. They were with God in the presence of God. They lacked nothing. Yep. Uh, they were in the Garden of Eden. I mean, just everything that you could ever possibly want, and things beyond what we can dream of today, were available to them. And they made the choice to consistently stay with God and not break the one commandment that He gave. So that pattern is there: the consistency of God, the frailty of man. That we, you know, there's temptation is real, and, and, it, and it pulls on us. What if what if I will get smarter when I eat that fruit? What if it is good for my physical frame? And what, you know, it is pleasing to the eye. It's beautiful. Mm. Um, we're drawn to things like that. And God says, no, I know there's a temptation. Don't touch it and you will live. And it's always that way with us and with him. It's, it's easy to get after Adam and Eve and say, you know, how foolish. They yeah. had everything. Well, they didn't know how far they would fall. They, didn't, they haven't seen what we see in the death and the pain and the sicknesses that, we've succumbed to because of sin that's Mm -hmm. that is the result of that and so the temptation was there and they had the fellowship with god as long as they didn't in the moment they did they were separated from god just as we are in our own sin our own transgression so there's no new levels to any of this it's all right there it's consistently the same Um, it's more clearly laid out for us in our fallen state what's required of us Mm -hmm. it's not just don't touch that tree it's a lot more than that for us but, but we're, we're in this mess because of the decision that was made in the very beginning. And I think using the last few minutes that we have, I wanted to, I want to talk a little bit about the damage uh, that comes on a people, an individual, any group who decides that the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, 3, the book of Genesis, uh, can't be trusted, isn't accurate. You mentioned earlier that there's a there's a path that we consistently go down once we think that, yeah, because it leaves everything in our hands to decide what to do or how to explain these things. So what mm-hmm. what do you think of you know the damaging things that come from well, this
1: opposition? It, it's it's uh, that's a good question because for some time I've been working on a on a paper or just putting my thoughts together of the tremendous influence that Charles Darwin has had on our world. His theories have affected every aspect of our life. Economics, education, religion, government, just about everything you can think of has been influenced by this theory of survival of the fittest, of natural, natural selection. And when you look at what is taught today, uh, it is in absolute and direct opposition to what is revealed by God in the beginning of Genesis, those those first three chapters. No, God didn't create anything. Somehow, uh, non-living, unintelligent, mindless matter was able to produce itself out of nothing. And that kind of reasoning is accepted, and it's absolutely foolish. Yes. Um, so there is no God. Miracles don't happen. So there is no special ca- account of creation like this. Man wasn't specially created by God. We rose up from the ooze, some slime pit somewhere, had the the right uh, ratio and collection of the necessary amino acids. And a lightning bolt or some kind of electric spark or some energizer hit it, and voila! Life. There's life. And then over billions and billions of years, that, (laughs) quote, life, unquote, develops into higher forms into what we have now. So, really, where did this all come from? If we're going to look specifically at Darwin, and it's relevant that we should, because the great opposing theory uh, and explanation for for our material world is evolution, which comes from Darwin's theories. Where did Darwin get his thinking? Why did he propose an idea that is in opposition to God? Well I think it's helpful just to recount the title of his, his groundbreaking book, the one that started everything. Usually it's just described as The Origin of Species. Mm-hmm. That's the name of the book. That's, that's Darwin's work. Sometimes they'll extend it a little bit, The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. Mm-hmm. You never hear the full title. And it's interesting to me in reading uh, the supporters of Darwin try to blow this off, to explain it away, to ignore it, which is what is usually done, you can't buy a copy of the book with the full title on it anymore. But we know what the full title is. It was The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Now, what did he mean by that? What, what does he mean? Favored the races. Preservation of Favored Races one, in the one, Struggle one. for Life. What did he have in mind with that phrase, favored races? Well, we don't have to guess. Nope. We can just read his writings in addition to this, and he'll tell us what it means. Yeah,
0: that's exactly right. And you made great points. They've removed that part of that title. And if that's part of his original title, then it's in the text. Mm-hmm. It's found in there for sure. And i just looking just briefly at some of the things... Concerning Charles Darwin, uh, he had written to a colleague of his just shortly before he passed away. But in, in the letter to the colleague, it says, More civilized, so called Caucasian races have beaten the Turkish hollow in the struggle for existence. Looking to the world at no very distant date, what an endless number of the lower races will have been eliminated by the higher civilized races. Throughout the world. And, and so that's, that's in a note that he wrote to a, for, for a friend or a colleague, but that is not an offhanded comment because in his book, The Descent of Man, which was written in 1871, or at least published in 1871, he says this At some future period, not very distant as measured by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace throughout the world the savage races. So not only is he promoting racism, but racial extermination. Yes. That through the process of survival of the fittest and in what we can tell by this world that he dreamed up on how it came to be and the way things work and survival of the fittest, that those who are of higher standing in intellect, position, financial, and, and everything across the board, that they would eventually turn on the lower races, in their eyes, mm-hmm. right? According to Darwin, of course, he's on the right side of this. Uh, naturally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, that's convenient. He's one of the good guys. Oh, yeah. So they turn on the on the the weaker, more savage, as he says, races, and they exterminate them because they're a waste. Yeah. They're a waste of space. They're a waste of time. They're a waste of resources yeah. and food. They're polluting the genetic pool. We've exactly. Got to get rid of them. If you, if you cross pollinate, then the that which should have improved would have would have declined. So everything he taught and believed as you pointed out already was built and
1: based on a racial idea. Yeah. And who famously put those ideas into practice? Adolf Hitler. Yes, and, and he is not the only one. Margaret Sanger. That's the right. Founder of planned parenthood. That's right. She was a eugenicist and eugenics which is a now discredited theory was founded on the ideas of Charles Darwin getting rid of undesirable races. How disgusting. It, it's, it is sickening. So what has man done in trying to become his own god? He no longer occupies the pinnacle of creation, as God intended. But man has continually degraded and lowered and defiled himself. Why? Well, we're just another animal. We, the only advantage that we have over that marmot over there is I can think. Although maybe he can think in some limited way. I don't know. I should try to communicate with that marmot. Well, <laughs> you know, if if we think we're animals, then we're going to act like animals. Yeah, it gives That's us permission. That's what we are. That's right. Yeah. And we're on so, top of the pile so we can do whatever we want. Yeah, so now I am my God, but what kind of God am I? Well, basically I'm my own idol. I set up my own will and I subject myself to my own will, and I do whatever I want. Yes, and, and I, I, I destroy myself in the process.
0: From the perspective, looking from God's side of this, that He, He said that He gave man dominion over all of the earth. If man relinquishes the position, the role he's supposed to play in God's creation, as He has gladly done, you know, I'm, I'm equal to the animal. We're all brothers and sisters according to this, uh, naturistic idea and the teachings of Darwin and, you know, all of this stuff, as it comes out from that place, then you, then you have, and again, just the way it, the way it ripples out, you have men giving up their position in the home Mm -hmm. as the spiritual leader. Uh, Because that's what God ordained originally. Why would he stand up and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a decision for this home. I'm in, I am the spiritual leader of this household and I will be accountable for the direction we go because. Because of these kind of teachings that show, no, you're not. You're not the mm-hmm. leader of anything. You're just another animal. And therefore, the best we can do with that is get what you can while you can, in my, in my mind. That's survival of the fittest. Step on other people's necks. Yep. Take advantage of everyone you can. Lie, cheat, steal, yep. because you're only here for a little while. And when you die, you're gone. Yep. Well, I'm more fit than you. Therefore, I deserve to survive. That's and right. you don't. And you can't say anything about it. Yeah. Because I'm more fit than you. And so it, it compartmentalizes these different... Peoples, not just race, but age, you know, the newborn babies. We, we're deciding whether or not we want to have them. Not God's will, man's will. We, we can choose. We just, we'll just kill them. It's yeah. not a big deal. And then you get to the elderly as well. The elderly become a problem for us mm-hmm. because I'm in the prime of my life. They're and now a i got to tend yeah. to this person mm-hmm. who go- doesn't benefit society. Yeah. They're just so, sucking
1: up resources. So. And they the same
0: exact get reason. Them. They're kicked to the curb because they don't serve me. And, and it blows my mind that, that we, well, I say we, we. Um, Madeline Murray O'Hare and others who Mm -hmm. were proponents for eliminating scripture from schools and eliminating prayer from schools, that they wanted to throw out a book, the Bible, that teaches uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So so throw that out and let's bring in as a replacement that we are developed, evolved from pond scum. We have no purpose, we have limited potential. There's nothing after this life. Let's let's teach that to our children instead of mm-hmm. uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and let's see where that leads us. And now we're watching it.
1: Yep, we're seeing the fruits of a century and a half, almost two centuries now, of accepting this degradation of man and denial of God. So opposition to Genesis and the account, the truthful account, we have here is profound deeply profound it affects everything that we are how we think of ourselves and how we act
0: that's right it can't be measured and, and as i said you you look at the the theory of evolution and and, and what a despondent place that puts us puts us and our children yeah. what am i here for utterly hopeless we yeah. don't know And then if you look at Psalm 8, verses 4 through 5, this is what God says in in his inspired writing through his prophet. What is man Mm. that you, almighty God, are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Man has decided that we're just a little bit above the monkey Mm. on the evolutionary track. And God says, no, no. You're a little lower than the angels, and you're standing before God. and And why would we not want that position? And to know that we're loved in such a deep and powerful way?
1: Yeah, we're saying basically, uh, I don't want this crown of glory and honor. I don't like it. I'm throwing it away. I, I, I want my own crown. I'll I'm going to glorify my myself. Wow. Well, look how we glorify ourselves. Is this really what we want? we want this kind of destruction and hatred and racism and greed and avarice and just every sin there is stems from the Garden of Eden. Genesis tells us where this comes from. We need to accept that truth, look at the consequences of what we've decided, and then look at the compassionate God who's given us a way to correct that situation through Jesus Christ.
0: That's right and it helps me understand you know Jesus warning about those who would cause a little one to turn away mm. from Christ be better if a millstone were tied yeah. around his neck and be cast into the sea because of that destructive end that that ultimately that will lead to and a child believing in Genesis chapter one and then Satan again Genesis 3 Satan coming in and saying, did God say yeah that he made you? Did he really mean Have you that? seen God? Yeah. Who well, is, actually, they have. <laughs> who is this God yeah. that, uh, that you keep proclaiming to believe in? And so Satan tears down
1: mm-hmm. the
0: faith, the belief, and the confidence in the creator and replaces exactly. it with foolishness. Yeah. And a child is
1: left now in the darkness. Now we put our confidence and our trust in a, a creature who has a limited lifespan, limited intelligence... Does not know everything, even though we like to think we do. Mm. Uh, Cannot control his environment, though we think we can. Well, we're trying. We're just, we have made ourselves helpless in, in this creation, in this universe. Yeah. Because we denied the one who wants to help us. Now we're just a dog chasing his tail. Yep. Man. Yep.
0: So Genesis 1, extremely important. And, and Kurt and I would recommend, if, if you haven't read it recently, you know, go through that and read it. There's some beautiful things there in chapter 1 alone, mm. uh, the order of the creation. And I love, I love the order because as he puts these things on the earth after it's formed, uh, the, the next day something else is brought into creation that sustains that which was put the day before. They're never in reverse order. Everything is done on purpose for a reason. And it's been given to us by God that we might know how it all began. And uh, again, what a great, compassionate, almighty, loving God uh, to share these things with us. And then for him to say, I want you to believe it because this is what happened. And then for us to say, I do believe it, Lord. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now that's a relationship. Yep. Submit
1: to him and... He promises to shower blessings on us that we cannot count, we cannot even imagine. That's right. Because He's still that same loving and compassionate and generous God. That's right. When I look up at the sky
0: and see a rainbow, I see a promise from God to me that He will not flood the earth with water. Mm-hmm. Because that's what He said is there for. I love yep. things like that. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, we have questions unless there's something
1: else. No, I'm, uh, I've am got a, a trivia mind going right now. Okay, good. You're going to need it. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. The gauntlet has been thrown down. Yes. Well, what do you want to do? You want to go first? Um, I think I went first last week. So. Okay. Well, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Here, let's flip a coin. Okay, I win. You start. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> trivia.
0: So this is from the book of Judges.
1: Okay. What did Samson use to kill one thousand Philistines? Well, there's the result of evolution again. <laughs> I'm going to use this poor donkey as a weapon. <laughs> Just a uh, lesser the, form of life. Yeah, the jawbone of an ass. Yep. New uh,
0: King James version says the fresh jawbone of a donkey. Judges 15, verses 15 through 16. And, uh, you know, just thinking about that, especially as a kid, you have the jawbone of an animal and he's just swinging it around against military men of the Philistine army. And he, he mows down a thousand guys with it.
1: <laughs> wow. Pretty strong dude. Well, God gave him strength. Yes. That it was from the spirit. Wouldn't well, no matter how many men, came him. up to him. He was a, he was a Nazarite from his birth. Yes, sir. All right. Very good. Okay. Here's my first one. Uh, We've been talking about the miraculous this morning. Which one of Jesus' miracles is the only one that's recorded in all four Gospels?
0: Hmm. Okay, I'm not going to mess with you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Only one of his miracles. One of his miracles. You're trying to qualify this. Yeah. Because the virgin birth. Right. Yeah. it's, It's... One of Jesus' miracles that he performed. It's the feeding of the 5,000. You got it. There it is. That's amazing. Yep. Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6. Tell Mm -hmm. us about the feeding of the 5,000. Interesting as to why that's the only miracle that's in all four Gospels. I'm telling you, once you have a fact like that, I mean, you should be compelled to
0: read that and say, This must
1: be important.
0: (laughs) And not only that, Jesus will reference it with his disciples down the road later when they say he's upset because we didn't bring bread don't you remember how much we had left over when we fed the five thousand that's right so we know there's a lesson there for sure Mm -hmm. okay second question for you and third question for the whole world psalm 23 and verse 4 begins by saying yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil what reason does the psalmist give to show why he will fear no evil
1: because God is with him, and That's his right. rod and his staff comfort him.
0: Very good. That's bonus points. For thou art Ooh. with me. Yep. Psalm 23 and verse 4. Uh, thy
1: rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And God gives that beautiful promise to us uh, in Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 3, when he says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's right. So that I may confidently say, What is man? What can man, or what do I have to fear? Who is man that, uh, who, what can he do to me? You can't. There, I butchered the passage, a beautiful promise from God. So if God is with us, what is there to be afraid of? We don't need to be like Adam and Eve and go hide behind a bush. Nope. Because we're afraid of God. If God is with us, who can be yep, against us? He's with us. He wants to be with us and wants us to be with him. Okay, here's the last one. Uh, we'll see how you do. Uh what figure in the Bible is noted for his dreams and his ability to interpret others' dreams? Gotta be Joseph. That's the one. Sometimes people might think of Daniel. Yeah. But he didn't interpret his own dreams. Or he we're not told of the dreams he had. He had vis- he was given visions, but yep. we don't read anything about his dreams. He certainly interpreted those visions, the dreams of others, like King Nebuchadnezzar. But Joseph is the one who had his own dreams. Uh, Genesis 37, he saw all the, he saw 12 uh, or 11 sheaves of wheat bowing down to his sheaf. Then he had the dream of the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down. Uh, And Abraham, or not Abraham, Uh, Jacob. Jacob, thank you. (laughs) Thanks for not asking who Joseph's father was. Uh, Jacob understood the significance of that dream he kept all these things in in his remembrance. Yeah. Even after rebuking him. And then of course we read about him interpreting the butler and the baker's dream in Genesis 40 and then Pharaoh's dream in Genesis 41. So. Yeah. Joseph the the one of the outstanding examples in the Old Testament noted for his own dreams that were fulfilled through the providence of God and in the dreams that he was able To interpret for others, that's right. He gives God the credit. He said, "Is God not the interpreter of dreams?" That's right. He's he is the one who gives understanding in these things. So always giving God the glory. Yeah, he's a great, great character in the Bible.
0: Very good. Well, we want everyone to to remember and continue thinking about the the great importance uh, of Genesis, the book of Genesis as a whole. Certainly, Genesis chapter one, two, and three that. Everything we could get ourselves into is somewhere in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Mm-hmm. And obviously God's wisdom and his love for us is also tightly bound to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. We thank you very much for studying with us today. And we hope and pray this is beneficial to you. And that as this podcast ends, you will go on walking in the light as he is in the light. Honoring God with your life and with your words and the time you spend with those who are around you. Uh, showing your great love, your mercy, and your compassion for your fellow man, simply doing our best to be a reflection of Almighty God.